Today's sermon is grace, gratitude, and glory. Grace, gratitude, and glory is part of our overall uh, fall semester series to grow closer to God. And it's also part of our particular focus in these Sundays from late October into November on our stewardship season, Thy Kingdom Come. We're going to be turning again to Paul's letter to the church in Rome, which is the book of the Bible that our youth, our teenagers are studying on Wednesday nights. It's great to see all those um, you know, questionnaires that the youth carry around the church building and have notes on. That Wednesday night study kind of at the core of our biblical studies for our teenagers, but also for us. So we are again into Romans, the book of Romans, as we have been for a number of these sermons this fall. We're going to be reading from three passages in Romans. To begin with, we'll turn to Romans, Romans chapter 1. We're going to read today verses 20 and 21, Romans chapter 1 verses 20 and 21. Then we'll be turning to Romans 3 verses 21 through 27. And finally to chapter 15 verses 8 and 9. Hear now God's word. For his, that is God's, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, all of humanity, the Gentiles, but all of humanity, they are without excuse. For for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now to chapter 3. Picking up at verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or literally the mercy seat, a mercy seat for expiation and propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of those, of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Finally, to Romans 15, verses 8 and 9. For I tell you that Christ became a servant 
to the circumcised, this is the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. I must know three things to live and to die in the blessed comfort of belonging to Jesus. Do you know what those three things are I must know in order to live and die in the blessed comfort of belonging to Jesus? Do you know the three things? Do you experience them? Have you received them? What are the three things that I need to know to live and die in the blessed assurance of the comfort of belonging to Jesus? Now, God gives us the saving answer by his word. And thanks be to God, uh, Reformed Protestant theology confirms and affirms for us what those three things are. So let's focus in. Do you, can you fill in the blanks? I must know three things to live and die in the blessed comfort of belonging to Jesus. First of all, my something, wonder what that is. Next, God's something, I wonder what that is. And third, my, and fill in the blank. Well, we're going to look to the Heidelberg Catechism, a classic reformed statement of faith from the mid-16th century in the height of the early Reformation, a great explication of the faith that frames out the faith. Uh, we're going to look to Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer number two, to answer this question. But, but just to warm us up a little bit, I'll remind you that question one of the Heidelberg Catechism asks the question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer begins with this. It goes into a little more specifics about Jesus and his redeeming grace. But the, the beginning response is this. My only comfort in life and in death is that I belong to body and soul in life and death to Jesus Christ, my faithful Savior. So that then leads us to, okay, what do I need to know? What must I know? to live and die in that comfort of belonging to Jesus. And so we're going to look at three things that the Heidelberg Catechism frames out as the answer, and it then provides the structure for an entire theology of applied Christianity. Okay, so it, it frames out three things, which are not just answers to fill in the blanks, but an entire way of understanding what is the Christian gospel and how do we live in the Christian gospel. First of all, the first thing I need to know that I must know is how great my sin and misery are. That's what the Heidelberg Catechism says. So that is summed up in I need to know my guilt. And that's the terminology that the Heidelberg Catechism uses for the entrance into the gospel story. Okay, so guilt. I need to know my guilt. Secondly, answer number two says, I must know how I am set free from all, not just some, all of my sins 
and my misery? How am I set free? And, and this is at the heart of the gospel. Okay, I know about my guilt. Now, God's grace. God's grace. And that, that, by the way, is the second entire segment or section of the Heidelberg Catechism theologically. What about third? Third, I must know how I am to thank God for such a deliverance. Now, this is a part that a lot of kind of surface-level so-called Christians leave out. In other words, okay, good, I got my spiritual insurance policy, I got the, the message on grace, so now I get to go to the party and just live my life, and Jesus did something way back when, and I guess I kind of believe in that, so grace. No, no, no. Grace, true grace from God always flows into our gratitude in response to the grace. So guilt, grace, gratitude. That is the whole sweep of Reformation theology in response to God's good news. So we're going to come back to that in a moment. But first, I want to pull back and remind us that my guilt and your guilt is actually not the beginning of the story. And that's, that's part of the good news, is that we don't start the story with our sin, do we? Now, we start the, the, the coming of Christ and how we respond to Christ with that. But remember, we begin the story with God's grace in creation. God's grace in creation. Is this the way the Bible begins, Genesis? In the beginning was, I don't know, Martin and Susie and Billy and Adam and Eve. Is that the way the Bible begins? No. In the beginning, Adam. Adam figured all this out about God. Is that the way the Bible starts? No, no, no. In the beginning, God. And not just in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Did the heavens and earth warrant this? Did the heavens and earth do something to make God create them? No, <laughs> by definition, they didn't exist. What about the human beings ultimately made? You know, this is the ultimate uh, development in the, in the creation. Human beings made, male and female, in God's image. Did we do something where God said, you know what, those are really special. Or they're really going to be special. I can see it ahead of time, so I'm going to make them in my image. No, flat out, out of nothing, by total grace. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is total grace. This is not based on what we were going to do or how great we're going to be. This is total grace. God's grace in creation. By his word, by his word, blessing his creation. And, and, and the ultimate blessing, tov tov, very good, after human beings made in God's image. Now, what that means is already, as the reformers said, by the book of his gospel in creation, we, we can already know about God, right? So we ultimately have the word written, but his word is also apparent. The revelation of God is also apparent in his creation. So Psalm 19 verse 1, for instance, says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And then, of course, what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, he says, For what can be known about God is plain to them. In other words, every single human being who's ever lived on earth. God... The creator is apparent to all because God has shown it to them. And you could say, well, yeah, it's kind of general creation. No, no, no. Paul continues. Listen to this. For his invisible, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature 
have been clearly perceived by everyone who's ever lived, like everyone who's walked in this creation. Ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So, again, God's grace in creation declares his glory. But then, of course, we come to the reality, the cold shower of Genesis chapter 3 and thereafter. Adam and Eve, their sin, their move to be gods unto themselves, to you know, taste what looks attractive to them and decide for themselves what's right and wrong, what's good and evil. Uh, but it's not just them, right? We go from Genesis 3 to Genesis chapter 4. And lo and behold, we have their son, Cain, murdering his brother Abel. And the blood of Abel crying out for justice to God. You hear that? There is a need for justice in the face of sin. You go on, you know, all these generations of human beings, so many corrupt, all the way through Noah, the flood. And then Noah, maybe Noah's going to be a great second Adam. Reed talked about this briefly, I think, uh, Wednesday night before last in the Bible study. But lo and behold, he's got the vineyards, he's got kind of the new garden, but Noah falls. And then the, the story just continues all the way through, it repeats multiple times, to the Israelites delivered, saved out of Egypt. And what do they do when they get into the desert of Sinai? They immediately start in ingratitude. Do you remember this? In the face of God's grace, they're ungrateful. They grumble against God. They complain. And ultimately, they worship the golden calf instead of God. Totally the opposite of giving glory and thanks to God. So this is the ongoing story of humanity. And, and here's what we need to understand. It's not just their guilt. Oh, Adam and Eve, Cain, they were all bad. Those Israelites, they didn't get it, but I do. Uh, no. It's not just their guilt, but our guilt. Remember now, I must know my own guilt, right? To begin to be opened up to the gospel of God's grace and what it means and who Jesus is. And let's go to the core of sin. The core of sin, we've just read it in Romans chapter one. The core of sin, actually, the root doesn't begin with darkened hearts and minds and idolatry. The core of sin, according to God's word through Romans chapter 1, is, I'm giving you half of it, and these two things link together, denying God's glory and what else? What else? I've already mentioned the term. I've already intimated in this direction. The core of sin is denying God's glory and in gratitude, the opposite of gratitude, the opposite of giving thanks and glory to God. So the answer there is ingratitude. Denying God's glory and ingratitude lead to, according to Romans chapter 1, the darkened hearts and ultimately the idolatry. Romans chapter 1 verse 21, though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give what to him? What's the answer? They did not give thanks, thanks to God. In their worship, in their giving, in their serving, there's no thanks there. It's manifest. So we've talked about the universality of sin and unrighteousness, and let's just cut to the chase here. You and I 
are essential parts of filling in the blanks for guilt, right? You like that? Hopefully we can all remember that. You and I are in guilt. Would you say that with me? I am in guilt. I'm right there flat down in the middle of it. I'm part of the story. I'm part of the guilt story. See, if you don't get that, you're never going to get the gospel. You hear what I'm saying? <laughs> you're not going to really, well, it's nice Jesus died for my sins, whatever that means. No, no, no. You and I are in total moral jeopardy. I'm right in the middle of guilt. For Romans 3, 23, 4, blank and blank. Now, I'm, I'm quoting literally from Romans for the first blank. I'm going to add something in here, the second one. For blank and blank have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The answer, of course, if you know the scripture, Romans 3, 23, is for all, right? For all, universality of sin. But guess what? I'm going to go ahead and throw in, I have sinned. Okay? This is, this is what, teenagers, this is what we all have to come to terms with. I have sinned, and I fall short of the glory of God. It's not just some theoretical thing out there. I've got a problem. I've, I've got a serious problem. I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now we turn to God's grace in Jesus Christ. God's grace in Christ, his glorious gospel in Christ. Paul says in Romans 1, 16 and 17, basically his thesis for the entire letter and his understanding of the gospel, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation. It is the power of God for salvation. Now, now notice that word power that links back to back in Romans 1, 4, when, he, when Paul talks about how Jesus has been raised by the power of God, okay? So this is a direct link back to who Jesus is as the Messiah and the raised Redeemer, right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, a little reminder here to all these Roman Gentiles who are thinking, well, we do it better than the Israelites did. We wouldn't make those same mistakes out in the desert. No, no. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That's the whole sweep. From faith to faith or for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So we've gone for the very inclusive thing about sin to something extremely exclusive on the other end of this gospel conversation. There is one way, only one way, for anyone, Jew or Greek, whatever your background, rich or poor, smart or not that smart, pedigreed, degreed, whatever, tenured, not tenured, there's only one way for anyone to be justified. Watch words of Reformation theology, right? Sola gratia, by grace alone, sola fide, through faith alone, Solus Christus, in Christ alone. So we're looking at, by God's grace as a something, I wonder what that blank plays out to be, by God's grace as a something through redemption in Christ, received through faith in Christ, propitiation or Christ being the mercy seat, the new mercy seat, 
for your something? Okay, here are the, here are the answers. By God's grace as a gift. It's a total gift now. This is, this is really at the heart of the gospel. God's grace as a gift through redemption in Jesus. Well, how is it received? Do I get myself in order? Do I get my house in order? Do I justify myself so that I can receive this gift? No, no, no. Received through faith in Christ, propitiation for your sins. For your sins. You are a sinner, a dead-in-sin sinner. Christ saves you. So this is received through faith. So just to emphasize this, let me make this very clear. It is not achieved through faith. Okay, a lot of people get this wrong at evangelistic rallies and everything else. It is not achieved through faith. It is received through faith. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. Let me just tell you, in the Greek, um, justification and righteousness are linked words. They're, they're from the same family. Okay? They, in, in, if you're reading this in the Greek, they, they, they're right next to you. Are justified by his grace as a gift. See that? Verse 24. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation or as an atonement, um, and, and again, literally a mercy seat. So in other words, both for cleansing us from sin, that would be expiation, as well as dealing with the judgment, that's propitiation. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Received by faith. It was to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be just... Okay, we're just going to blow off that Cain killed Abel and just say, Abel, don't worry about it. I'm an indulgent old man. I'm, I just don't care. You know, everybody's in, you know, whatever. No, no, no. God is going to be just and right with his word and his, his righteousness, okay? Under his law. I mean, he's going to accord with his covenant law, right? To be both, both just and the justifier. And that's, that's, that's why Jesus and the cross are essential. If you miss Jesus and the cross, you've missed the whole thing. God is both just and the justifier. That's what the cross is all about. Of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. This is a faith totally focused on God and his grace. This is not a faith focused on how do I feel? Or do I feel, you know, am I good enough? Do I feel, you know, strongly enough to justify my <laughs> salvation? Am I really fighting hard for faith so that I can grab this salvation? No, 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 no. A faith totally focused on God and his grace. Romans 5, 8. But God still shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners. Okay, you weren't a reforming sinner. You weren't, you hadn't started like some step program and somehow God's like, okay, he's looking pretty good. I think he's going to look pretty good. So I'll go ahead and do the deal. No, no. While we were still sinners, Christ, this is the righteousness of God, Christ died for you, for us. And again, how is this received? Well, this is the salvation invitation verse. This is the gospel call verse. You should know it. I pray that every single teenager, young person, young adult, 80-year-old can respond on this one, right? 
if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is something, I wonder what the answer is there. This is salvation now. And believe in your heart that something raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, not simply a nice religious figure, not simply your Santa Claus, your, you know, genie that you call on when you're in trouble. No, no, he rules your life. Thy kingdom come, right? If you truly confess and your public life and your private life accord with the fact that Jesus is your king. That's what it means to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. It's not saying a word or signing a card. I mean, it is a flat-out confession. If you confess with your mouth in all that you are and all that you do that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, well, I worked hard enough so Jesus got raised or I warranted his resurrection. Or, you know, we just, it's kind of like at a funeral where we say, well, he's still in our hearts and so we're just gonna make him alive. Is that the answer? Is that the blank I need to, no, no. God raised him. This is critical to theology. God raised him. It's not just that I believe that Jesus is raised, it's that I believe that God raised him and therefore God can overcome all sin, all death, power of hell and every challenge that I face. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is what this is saying. God can overcome all things. Do I believe it? Do I believe it? Because God raised Jesus from the dead and not just general dead. He raised him from the death in our sin. In the hellish consequences of our sin, God raised him. You believe that? You receive that? You are alive in Christ. You will be saved. So this is the gospel call of God's lavish, loving. I mean, this is overflowing. His own son. Do we understand? His own son. Lavish, loving grace in Christ. Freely received. This is my invitation to you. Do you, do you know Jesus? Do you, do you realize who you are but who Jesus is? Freely receive him. Trust in the power of God. Raised him from the dead. And overcame all your sin. My salvation, justification, our faith, our right standing, our fruitfulness, these are all God's doing and gift, not my working and earning. This is the gospel. This is the Reformation gospel, okay? It's not my doing, not my earning, not my working. It's God's doing, God's giving. A radical verse, Romans 4, 5. This is in the face of almost all human religion. This is an offense to all human religion. Listen to this. And to the one who does not work. Did you hear that? <laughs> to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. I'm, I'm ungodly. I'm not a pretty good person. I'm ungodly. Believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. Not the one who works but the one who trusts totally in God, in Jesus Christ. Do you trust totally in God, in Jesus Christ? Paul says also, of course, in his famous dialogue, who will deliver me from this body of death? Um, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is, there's only one person who can do it. 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the response in Romans 7. So it's solely God's lavish giving, not my working, not my earning, and that leads us to gratitude. Gratitude. Our gratitude for his grace, and in grace and in the power that God works in us by his Holy Spirit through grace, this leads us to glorify God. Remember, I preached on this at the beginning of this month for World Communion Sunday, Romans chapter 1, verse 5. After giving the creedal statement about who Jesus is raised by God in the power, through whom, that is through Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about something, the something of faith, for the sake of his name among all the nations. What is that? Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience the obedience of faith. If there's real faith, there will be obedience. If there's real faith, there will be flat out lavish gratitude in our worship, in our giving, and our serving. It's, it's guaranteed. For the sake of his name, in other words, for his glory among all the nations. So that, Romans 15, 9, so that the Gentiles might, what? God for his mercy, glorify God. Again, glorification of God and thankfulness to God. Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. See, here's the thing. When we believe in God, the lavish giver through Jesus Christ, in turn, our gratitude will be lavish and loving. And one thing that I love about stewardship season is it's an opportunity to shine the light on where we are spiritually where your children are spiritually, where you are spiritually, where your parents are spiritually. Because if there is not a manifestation of lavish worship and commitment to worship and lavish giving and commitment to giving and lavish ministry and service in your life or in their life, then that just told me there's a big problem spiritually. And perhaps... We don't know the gospel. We don't know about guilt, grace, and gratitude. We don't know Jesus. He's just a name, a theory. But when we do, and I invite you to know him, your gratitude, your response in his grace and to his grace will be powerful, earth-shattering, will change households, will change this community, will change for the sake of thy kingdom come. Let's pray that for real and live that for real, thy kingdom come. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit now and forever, amen.